0: So, welcome to the From Poverty to Power podcast. My guest this week is Jean-Paul Faguet, one of my colleagues at the London School of Economics. Jean-Paul's got a paper about the decline of political parties, and it couldn't be better timing. Um, as we record, the Tory party is just going into a vote of confidence meltdown. The news has just come through that Macron is about to have a vote of no confidence. There was extraordinary footage on the uh, overnight from the White House of... Um, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and uh, Donald Trump having a silly spat on camera. So it seems like there's some major political crisis. Jean-Paul has a theory for why that's happening. Um, And interestingly, he starts with Bolivia. So what we're going to do with this podcast, we're going to have 10 minutes on Bolivia, and then 10 minutes about the ramifications, what you can learn from Bolivia, and extending out to this much wider crisis of the political party system. So Jean-Paul, welcome. Um, Thank you, Duncan. Honored to be here with you. Talk a little bit about why you think Bolivia is a useful case study, and then we'll go into what
1: happened. Sure. (coughs) Well, Bolivia is an interesting case for two reasons. One is that its political party system completely and utterly melted down around 2002, 2003. Um, Bolivia is known for having troubles with democracy. The old joke about the three shortest books in the world uh, where the book of Bolivian democracy is number three after the book of German humour and the book of English cuisine. English cuisine, there you go, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it may have been French humour actually. <laughs> um, what is is not so well known is that the Bolivian political party system was actually remarkably stable for decades. Um, they suffered lots of coups, but the same political parties, even the same leaders, came back into power again and again and again. And this is a country that suffered armed insurgency, um, micro, macroeconomic collapse, hyperinflation of 53,000% a year in the 1980s, um, all sorts of, of macro price shocks from the international economy to um, minerals and oil and gas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, the, the same political parties, and again, the, even the same leaders came back into power after all of these shocks. And then suddenly in 2002, 2003, a plan to export gas through Chile causes not just the flight of the president and the collapse of his government, but the entire political party system to melt down. Well, what I argue is that this was due to deep political cleavage shift in this country, That's A, that's the interesting thing, is that that not just the party breaks down, but the whole system of parties viewed as an equilibrium between left pro-worker, pro-poor versus right pro-capital, pro-business sort of parties, which are typical of the 20th century throughout the world. The whole system melts down, um, and that B, Bolivia is like a canary in the coal mine, an advanced case of what's going on in much of the rest of the world, including the richest countries like, for example, France and the UK. Which is interesting because it was also one of the early guinea pigs on structural adjustment. Exactly.
0: So it seems to be one of those unfortunate countries that experiences everything first and hardest. So an
1: early indicator, exactly, exactly, where things happen and they happen happen earlier and they happen more dramatically often than elsewhere. I'm realising that I forgot
0: the plug, so this is a conversation based on your paper, where?
1: Ah, thank you, in the Journal of Democracy, that's right, just out uh, last month. Is that gated? Uh, currently, it's, it's freely available to everyone uh, after a certain time period, then I think if you're at university, you can get in easily. Okay, I'll put the link up with the, with the podcast. That's Great. Right. All right, Great. so you
0: had a collapse, um, and your argument is that the collapse happened because something fundamental had shifted. What was the, the thing that shifted? So the old political
1: party system that collapsed was this left-right system um, based on the opposition, the the ideological and theoretical opposition of of workers to capital, so workers to the owners of capital or or businessmen. This was fundamentally unsuited to a poor country like Bolivia that had never really had much of a working class and had almost no industrial capital. So where did it come from, this this traditional European left-right split? Well, it, it, it came about in the 1952-53 revolution. It was imposed, I say imposed loosely. It was sort of dreamt up or it emerged through the leadership of the people who led the revolution, who overthrew the previous political party system, which is quite different. It was conservatives, liberals, landowners versus commercial elites. But it wasn't sort of labor versus capital. Um, they were the, the educated sons of the middle class. Um, why they came about with came out with this is anyone's guess, but you know you can imagine institutional mimicry. In the mid 20th century, this seemed to be the big thing in the world, um, so it was easy to defend. You know, the U.S. versus the Soviet Union. Um, and also, frankly, it, there was probably an element of aspiration where they thought, okay, today we're a poor country, doesn't quite match, but if our plans, you know, come to fruition, then we're going to grow economically quickly, and we will one day have industrial capital, and we will one day have lots of industrial workers, and so we'll grow into this political system. Um, It collapsed in favor of an ethnic identitarian system, which is based on what I argue is the real cleavage in Bolivia. Identitarian, a system based on identity. On identity, on ethnicity, on language, on religion, on on that kind of thing. That's the real cleavage, and that's a really hard and deep cleavage that goes back to the Spanish conquest. So So what
0: triggered this um, sort of return to a more uh, authentic set of
1: political divisions? So it's curious what triggered it. The the trigger, not the cause, I argue, was decentralisation, because the country went through a radical decentralisation in the 1990s. That was just a part of structural adjustment around Latin America, wasn't it? It it was part of it in the sense that that that's in terms of the timing, that's when it happened um the it was not imposed in the bolivian case by foreigners by the world bank or anyone else and i know this for a fact because i was the guy at the world bank in la paz (laughs) in charge of that part of the portfolio and when the bolivians announced that i was clueless and my colleagues called me up from washington to say what is this about the law of popular participation as it was called and we made stupid jokes and nobody understood what it was and then one day eventually because i was the guy on the ground i worked out that what they what they meant a couple of weeks later was a, a really deep and and sincere decentralization program, um, but done a la boliviana, done in a, in a particular Bolivian way, which is actually quite intelligently designed. So, a part, so it was it was endogenous; it, was, it came about by Bolivians for Bolivian reasons. Um, what it did was to create subnational politics, because all politics before that was oligopolized by a tiny number of elite families in the three main cities and they controlled entry into politics and entry was national. There, there basically was no local politics except for a few cities that happened to have uh, local administrations. But of 337 Bolivian municipalities today that comprise the whole country, more than 200 did not operate at all in any sense. So there was no local politics. This created local politics And most of these local people were brown-skinned people with surnames like Mamani and Huancaina and things like this, not the Sánchez de los Sáldes and the López Hidalgos of of before. Um, And they joined the existing political parties, but with a lag of about 10 years, they realized that these parties didn't speak to them, didn't prioritize the things that they cared about. The people in these local villages voting for their local mayors were not voting about left, right, capital versus labor, they were voting about other things. And so they just overthrew the system, and the whole thing blew up. Did anybody
0: mean for that to happen? Was that in terms of the people who designed the decentralisation process?
1: Is this an entirely unintended consequence? Yeah, I think it is entirely unintended. So I, I wrote a chapter in a book with co-authored with the president Sanchez Lozada, who who pushed this program through. And I asked him in in an interview that lasted three days, why did you do it? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? And you know his initial answer was along the lines of. Um, I'm the philosopher king, and I saw that it was good for my country, and so I said, yeah, come on, you know, cut the BS, tell me really why you did it. Um, he's, he's a very funny guy and he's very intelligent. And eventually it, it came down to political priorities and his ability to govern and to maintain a coalition, the standard sorts of things which are, you know, perfectly normal incentives for a successful politician, but neither he nor his party nor anyone in, in that political class had any idea this would happen, or they would not have done it. Because you know they ended up making themselves politically totally irrelevant. I mean, he fled the country; he is no longer in Bolivia. So, any
0: resonance about accidentally self-destructing through
1: a stupid <laughs> decision is purely purely accidental, purely right? coincidental. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, okay. I can I can think of no no current and near uh, analogies. <laughs>
0: okay, fine. That's fine. That, that's really interesting. And then, so when. So you said there was a sort of ten-year time lag. People tried to join the traditional parties and then realised it just wasn't working for them. And then new social movements, new political parties start to emerge, particularly the MAS. Could you just introduce the MAS for the re-
1: listeners? Yes, yes. The the MAS is the party of Evo Morales, the current president, a tremendously successful politician, the giant who who bestrides the, uh, the the political scenery in Bolivia. It's Movimiento al Socialismo, the movement towards socialism. It's um, it it it's At this point it's still in formation. It's probably more accurate to refer to it as a social movement, as a broad social movement, than a strict political party with a tight, tightly integrated structure, because it's just broader and looser than that. Um, I refer to it in the article as as a federation, an umbrella the the around which lots of parties or under which lots of parties coalesce at election time for national elections, and then these regional and local parties, including political parties that are specific to a certain municipality or even to a neighborhood at the sub-municipal level in some of the big cities. Um, they only represent that group of people in that place, but then they all come together under the mass for national elections and re-elect Evo Morales. Um, so this this umbrella group came out of local politics. Literally, Evo Morales and the MAS began in the Chapare, in the coca-growing region, where the Americans and Sanchez de Lozada, When he was president, were trying to stamp out coca production, um, and uh, and these were these people were largely displaced miners from the structural adjustment of the 1980s and 90s, um, and because you had decentralization, then the the party coalesced first in these five or six municipalities, and that provided a sort of a ladder upwards for brown-skinned people who previously could not get into politics. Before, remember, politics was controlled by a small number of people in the the major cities, and to get into politics you had to be successful as a businessman, a professional, or a landowner, and you penetrated at national level straight into the Senate or the lower house, or straight into the presidency even, from being a businessman to a president. now that you had decentralization that extended a ladder downwards so that people got their start in local politics the mass began representing local demands in the chapare and then it grew outwards to encompass eventually the entire country but again around really local issues of ethnic pride in an ethnically very diverse country so so just
0: I started thinking about the PT when you were talking about that, because yeah. there are some parallels with the PT, so a very decentralising constitution in 1988 or 89, yeah, yeah. was, That's right. Um emerging from grassroots social movements, church groups, so what are the differences, well, how come the PT has imploded and, and the mass is still stable and
1: strong? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, Some of the key differences are that the mass is really a rurally based organization in that it got its start in rural Bolivia as I've just described and then it came into the cities but it it clearly it has its strongest roots in the countryside and you see that in the ideology the discourse etc. When you talk about ethnic um, identitarian pride it's especially rural ethnicities that get reproduced in the city but they get sort of transformed when people move to the city. So it's really in in local, rural communities that speak the indigenous language and are farmers and and that kind of thing. Um, The 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 PT comes about as as people well as a workers' movement and it's allied to the people who are landless, which means almost by definition they're migrants and so they're not so rooted in the land. So Brazil
0: has more of a capital worker and Brazil exactly,
1: and they have absolutely, absolutely, they they have proper. Capitalism, proper industrial capital, big mm. manufacturing industrial sector.
0: Okay. Sorry, that was a. I yeah. didn't mean to
1: sort of jump no, no, no.
0: onto Brazil. So, okay, coming back to uh, the European and American crisis. Okay? Yes. So let's, so let's massively speculate, extend the, uh, the ideas way beyond where they should go. And so, what do we learn from the Bolivian example that you can carry across into why are so many European, hitherto fairly stable political
1: party systems suddenly looking incredibly fragile? The, the Bolivian case is interesting because it's an extreme example of cleavage mismatch where the political party system is based on a cleavage that does not represent most of the people. This can happen in the Bolivian sense sort of for historical accident where the the political party system never represented the, the the big cleavage that you know defines the society or it can be the case as I think is happening in Europe now that the society grows out of the cleavage but the cleavage is stuck. So I, I rely on the theory Uh, a a blend of of the the big comparative politics theorists about social cleavages, who are Lipset and and, uh, Rakan, and also a guy called Schatznider from the 1950s and 60s in the U.S., who talk about shifting political axes and how the the most terrible thing uh, an an upstart political leader can do to his rivals is not to do politics better than they do it, but to shift the axis of competition, where you say, for example, left-right no longer matters why, for example, we're cooking the planet. So whether you're a worker or a capitalist, we're producing pollution that's gonna end life on Earth as we know it. And so this left-right, you know, how do we divide the the benefits of production is irrelevant. What we need to do is is a green-brown kind of politics. And in particular, we need green development that reduces industrial activity, or at least reduces industrial pollution. Right? the
0: The equivalent here would be we have open and we have closed politics, and it turns out that both parties in Britain contain both open
1: and closed. and closed in them. That's right. In them. And so and the divide may, no longer they matters. That's right. Yeah. And somebody comes along and says, "Closed is it?" For example, right? And 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 if he can get more people from both of the extant parties behind him, then he makes that whole party structure irrelevant. Hmm. All those parties and political leaders that invested huge amounts in the left-right axis turn out not to matter, and they're just. And the thing
0: that's changed, I, what I took from your paper, is, is that that old Fordist division of large, stable workforce fairly static capital has been replaced by very sort of fluid labor force, more transnational capital with fewer national affiliations, so the old allegiances of the
1: worker capital split have become much more diluted, is that right? That, yeah, exactly right. The economy's changing and we, we no longer have... We we have lots of workers in in the UK the US Germany etc. Lots and lots of people who work you no, know, but they don't think of themselves as a working class with similar interests with a similar identity who live in the same neighborhoods and, and want the same things and vote the same way. People just don't have that that identification anymore. Um, it may be because our current center left leaders are, are really poor, but I think actually people just really there's a deeper sociological thing going on. Um, Partly it can't based be an accident that it's happening everywhere at the same it, time. It can not right? be, exactly, exactly. It's too much of a coincidence. So, you know, the people like talking about, people like me, academics, always talk about the rise of the gig economy and how everyone's an independent contractor. You know, it, it's still the case that Uber drivers are a small proportion of the workforce, but I think people think of themselves much more in that way than they did 50 years ago when we were all workers and we, you know, ate the same food and we dressed the same way and we watched the same TV
0: programs. Yeah,
1: we weren't looking, that's true, and so media have changed hugely and so it it makes it, and so the the culture is just split up into lots of different ways and that's reflected in how people think of themselves economically too. They're independent contractors or independent actors, even if they work in a big building with thousands of other people. And you, you say
0: quite strongly in the paper that political parties can't adapt to these big Seismic shifts, they just
1: die. and new ones emerge. And this is part of the Lipset Rakan theory that there's so much organizational and ideological stickiness in any political party. So, a political party is a structure, and any, any institutional structure is hard to change. And it's a structure that has invested a lot in a certain identity, in a certain discourse, in a certain set of values. They, they put forth platforms across different things that have to be coherent. They have to be coherent for that party to exist. If they're incoherent, the party dies quickly, right? So the Conservative Party, like it or hate it, puts forward a number of things that more or less cohere with one another that make for pl- platforms that are more or less credible, you know? Um, for them to change radically and say, actually, these things that we've cared about for several hundred years no longer matter, and now we're the party of, you know, green growth or of ethnically English people or whatever it may be of, of closing the economy and the nation to outsiders, it's just not credible. It's very, very difficult and to what do. What seems to be happening in the UK is that they go
0: halfway. So you've got, you know, Labour is a massive party, biggest political party in Europe in terms of membership, and it's and it's halfway reformed and with Corbyn and a different discourse, but it's got sort of painfully stuck halfway. And a bit the same with the Tories, between are you in Europe or out? So they seem to hit sticking points yeah. and then just kind of cause huge internal contradictions because of those sticking points.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly right. It ends up being easier for what well, the theory says, and I think we see empirically that it's just easier in practice for new parties to rise up that don't have all of that But that baggage. surely
0: depends on the system. If you've got a first-past-the-post like the UK, our, the the record of new parties is not exactly impressive, is it? So there's a... There's a force of inertia stopping new parties emerging
1: as well that's true that's true yes yeah, so it'll be differentially difficult as according to proportional representation or whatever other voting system yeah so then uh, so you think
0: that do you think question that um, the future lies in uh, some version of identity politics here too it's similar to the bolivian one but identity ala Europe or ala US?
1: I, I, I fear that that's what it is. I mean, that's the way things are going. I, I don't have a crystal ball any more than anyone else does, but you know, when, when I look around and I see what, what, is, what are the new political discourses, what are the things that seem to be echoed, what are the things that people are excited about, it's all about identity of one form or another. And the problem is that identity politics it really tends much more than left-right politics to be zero-sum. You know if, if 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 you're one identity, you cannot be the other identity. In the world of left-right politics, there's an economic pie that you can make bigger. And then the question is, how do you? If the economy is growing, how do you divide the growth? Do the spoils go entirely to the workers, entirely to the capitalists, or do we divide them and up? You can't make identity bigger. Identity, you, know, you are who you are, and 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 that is often defined by other people, right? It's harder to define yourself, your own identity, yourself. So so. I mean, we could go on, I've got lots of other things, but we better stop just for the sake of the audience. Um, But there's
0: one thing where, you know, in very crude, broad terms, which are the kinds I prefer, um, you say that that what's happened, this shift to identity politics is broadly positive in Bolivia and negative
1: in Europe and the US. Could you just uh, explain why you think that is? Well, so I, I, it's hard to tell. I, my final answer is that the jury's not in for Bolivia. It could yet be disastrous for Bolivia. So, you know, in the absolute worst case, which I don't think and I dearly hope will not happen, Bolivia will go the way of Venezuela. I mean, that would be terrible, but you know, it's possible. Um, it's been good for Bolivia so far um, because the the rise of, of identity politics and Neville Morales coincided with one of the biggest natural resource booms in the history of mankind when China was sucking up lots of raw materials and Bolivia has lots and lots and lots of raw materials and the government and part of my argument about the government in Bolivia being fundamentally different or sorry the the new political system being fundamentally different is that the government has been pulling feathers out of the left and right-wing hats and combining them in novel ways so they invested lots more in pro-poor programs, in transfers to rural people and to poor urban people and to ethnically indigenous people. They ramped up those sorts of entitlements, but they had really tight monetary policy and very responsible fiscal policy and had fiscal surpluses for most of this period. So you know, it was neither left nor right, it was both. So that's why I'm saying it was a different Mm -hmm. kind of politics. Um, And it, it led to Bolivia's economy growing threefold during this period under Evo Morales. Um, partly they, they did things well, but partly they got really, really lucky. And you know, my my pri—I I wouldn't stake my reputation on this, but my private assessment is it was probably more luck than ability. Um, but they didn't screw up. I and mean, without any doubt, they—they they could have. Latin America has a long tradition of screwing up resource. <laughs> they, they are absolutely. That's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, that, that remix
1: idea that you just came up with is kind of nice. Yeah. So so far it's going well. The question is, you know, where will it go from here? And and part of the. The the, the negative outlook is that so much depends on the figure of Evo Morales. He's got a a capable team behind him. His vice president is a very intelligent, strategic person. But Evo is the the giant political presence and nobody can touch him. And he seems to be trying to twist things now just for the sake of staying in power. So he's, he's basically forcing the country to accept that he can run for a fourth time. And if he runs for a fourth time, he'll probably win, although for the first time ever, he may not win with an outright majority in the first-round election, but there's no one else who can compete against him that we can see. Hmm. Um, there, there's a former president, Carlos Mesa, who's a very high profile, um, but he doesn't have anywhere like the pull historically that Evo has had in, in these last 15 years. So the years. alternative
0: narrative would be that Bolivia is actually going backwards to a more traditional caudillo model of the strongman who who appeals directly to the people and stays in power that way, and. That that's an alternative
1: explanation for what's happening. Yeah, that's possible. So maybe there was this ride, this possibility that a new politics would gel and then it collapses back into Kadi usual. I mean, yeah, it's hard to tell. Jean-Paul Fage, thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. That was fantastic, Duncan, thank you.